We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Ryan, let's get into the mailbag. I'm just going to some interesting stuff. We obviously have some stuff about receivers. I wanted to start off with some things about the show. Brandon K asked, and this is going to be for you, Ryan, because you're my my draft expert. He says, if Lindsey has a breakout, what is his NFL draft outlook? I, I would say right now, because we, I mean, I have gotten some feedback from spring grades as far as what the NFL values players right now. Lindsay's a guy that is rated as a priority free agent. So a guy that would not be drafted. So I would say, Brandon, the best case is that he gets into draftable territory. Cause one thing that I know about Brayden Lindsay is that Lindsay, whether it's at the combine or at his pro day, is going to blow things up, right? Like he's going to have a really good showing. So if he's able to show consistency this year and couple that with nice testing, then I think that he could be a draftable player. He's never going to be a highly draftable player, because I don't think he's going to have the volume. I don't think he has the impact as far as, you know, being a guy that's going to be a high volume type of player. Right. But as a gadget type of wide receiver that has an impact and with how today's game manufactures space so much, I think mm-hmm. you could see him sixth, seventh round. If he has a breakout, I think that that's very yeah. possible. It's just some things one year wonder and injuries and some things are going to hold him back a little bit. Sure. But I think he could get into draftable territory if he has a big year. I'm going to, I want to ask you about this, right, Ryan, because I, I think you made a comment that I'm, I'm very curious to hear your response to. So you said one year wonder. He enters the year with 50 catches for 667 yards. Yep. He also has almost 300 rushing yards. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not like he's a guy that's like never played before. It's just sure. the consistency aspect of it. So my question would be, so if he goes out there and let's say he has 40 touches for 900 yards, right? Sure. Just total touches. Yep. You think no matter what happens, like the combine, stuff like that, I'm just trying to make sure I'm clear. I'm not arguing yeah. with you. You yeah. think no matter what happens to the combine, there's no chance he moves into like higher than round six is what you're thinking? I, I think it's very unlikely, if we're being honest. I mean, because 
Next year's wide receiver class, although it doesn't look quite as good as the last couple of years, there's a lot of depth to it. It does. That's seem just what we're going to have to say every year now. I yeah. mean, I can't remember I the last know. time we did say that about receivers. I mean, it's yeah. just because so many teams are running three, four receiver offenses now. I mean, it's insane. It's it is insane. And yeah. last three years of wide receiver drafts has been just nuts, right? But I, I think when you couple everything together, Brian, like I would be, mm-hmm. I would be surprised if it was any higher than like a sixth or seventh round flyer, just because. I mean, you said six hundred yards and then three hundred yards receiving. I mean. So in theory, in this, you know, for making like a little speculation, if he has 900 yards this year, that's as much as he's had in his entire career leading up into this season, right? So he's going to have that one-year wonder tag to him. Even more importantly, though, to an, as far as negatives go, it's going to be the injuries, right? Like he's, he's mm-hmm. Brayden Lindsay's been a guy that's been banged up a decent amount. So he's going to have to pass the medicals and, you know, uh, kind of ease people's minds in that department. But I think when you couple everything together, I don't think that he's going to be a guy that like great year, fourth round pick. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't, tech, I don't really see that right. personally. It would have to require him to what have like just a. I mean, he has to become like yeah. the guy for Notre Dame this year. Is that? Yeah. I mean, would that be the thing that would vault him if if he, he has like a thousand something yards and he's right. super consistent? Like he has a Will Fuller, TJ. Well, here's something. one. Yeah. He has a TJ Jones type of breakout because I think that's interesting because I think TJ is a very similar player. To Braden coming, he was never more than a role player his first three years. You know, was healthier than Braden, not as fast as Braden. Goes out as his, in his last year. You know, has a thousand yards receiving, and he's still a six round draft pick. The reason I ask exactly. is because is because TJ had was more quick than fast. I think he ran yep. like what a high four four, something like that. Yeah. You know, I, I don't I don't know if Braden will break into the four threes. I don't know if he'll be that kind of speed. I think well, he's probably be like most. But it, let's yeah. say he does. Yeah. Do you think with a with a TJ Jones type of breakout season, do you think that would vault him in because of the speed difference? Or do you think that's just kind of his wheelhouse for the draft? I, I don't think it would because I think, Brian, like when you're talking about drafting guys to that degree, like fourth round mm-hmm. or higher, you're talking about guys that I think are it, – it's really dependent upon volume at the next level, right? Like do you do, would you – TJ Jones, although they are different players, mm-hmm. it's a good example. Although he's a much different player than Braden Lindsay from a – speed perspective and from Mm -hmm. the ability to make big plays tj jones was always just going to be a role player on the next level right that's why he was drafted in the sixth round although he had a really nice season kind of leading up to the draft he wasn't a guy that was going to project to be a first or second receiver like that was just Mm -hmm. never going to be a thing i think it's the same thing for brayden lindsey brayden lindsey is going to be Mm -hmm. the guy that's a yak threats guy that can you know do some gadget stuff but he's not going to be a guy that's going to warrant first second receiver volume so either way his role i don't think is going to be projecting forward being high enough to be much higher than that personally he'd be a guy to be very curious about possibly being a return guy for notre dame this year yeah i feel like that could be a thing that could maybe bump him up to five you know if if, with a breakout season so it's it's it i appreciate you letting me push back i just wanted to kind of dive into that just kind of see you know where your thoughts were on that i don't i don't necessarily disagree with you i think there's enough the injury history, the lack of production, you know, is he number one, the size, he's not a real big guy. I just kind of feel like, I always feel like this, Ryan, and you and I know this, a guy from a big time program that starts getting in the four or three range, all of a sudden starts having a different conversation about him. Uh, Perfect example, Tyquan Thornton. That's what I was going to say. Anytime a bus, a guy busts out a a four, three after having a good season, it's, it's always going to rise you. So it's always possible. I just, the role is kind of where I get kind of get stuck with it. And I don't, like I said, I don't disagree with you. I'm just, yeah. it just it's the, 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 all I'm saying is the pro day could make things a little interesting for me. 
No argument. Is all that I would say. Because, you know, it only takes that one team to fall in love with a guy, you know, and that's the fun thing about the draft. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get to some more questions. That was a really good one. Um, I'll answer this one real quick. Brandon K. If Lindsay, if Lindsay or Davis get hurt, do they have eligibility to come back? Uh, Avery Davis has no eligibility left. This is his sixth season. Braden Lindsay, whether he gets hurt or not, I could come back for a sixth year, I believe. Because I think I'd have to go look at his uh, 2000 and um, I'd have to go look at his 2016 stats, but or, or I mean, two, 2020 games played, but I, I'm pretty sure. So basically, 18, he redshirted, so that's not a year of eligibility. He played 19, 2020 doesn't count, 2021. So technically, Braden Lindsay was a redshirt sophomore last year. That's crazy, man. (laughs) Just based on COVID, right? Am I I correct on that? So, like, because he was a redshirt freshman in 2019, 2020 doesn't count. So that makes him so that technically this year he's a redshirt junior, even though he's a fifth year senior, like in the classroom. COVID jacks this whole thing up. So I don't even think he needs an injury. If I'm if I'm understanding the rules correctly, I don't think Brayden Lindsay needs an injury because he's already had the red shirt, right? What he couldn't do, like Kurt Heinisch couldn't come back this year without mm-hmm. having a, an injury last year. Like right. if Kurt would have got hurt in the first four games and not played, he could have come back for six years because Kurt never had a red shirt year. Braden yeah. did. Braden had a red shirt in 2018. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes it a little bit a little bit different. The el- the eligibility stuff is so funky, man. I, Brian, it I is. told you about the one kid that uh, he made a freshman All American team on the FCS level. He was a redshirt freshman technically, but he was a fourth mm-hmm. year player. Did I tell you that one? Yeah, no, yeah, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> it was in, in nuts, absolutely nuts, absolutely nuts. And and to answer the question too, if Brayden Lindsay wanted to come back next year and he was healthy this year, he's like, look, I just love college and. You guys want me back? I'll come back, and what? I'd take him back. I just I don't think that's going to be an option. I don't right. meaning I don't think he'll want to come back for a sixth year. It would be my thing. Now, what would be interesting is if he does have a good year, but he's still not getting good NFL love. And he's like, you know, if I come back for another year, now you have the two years of production. Maybe that jumps it, but that'd be a, a different a different 
Let's see how he does in 2022 first before we we, we go down that <laughs> before path. Before we get there. Before right, get there, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Got a super chat from Ryan Olenek. Ryan, thank you very, very much for that. Hey, guys, it's been a while since I could catch a live show. Welcome back. But I love all the content expansions. So awesome. Thank you. Uh, question, if Avery and Lindsay both have a good year, who is the higher draft choice? I, I think, well, that's an interesting question, honestly. Right. First and foremost, great name, Ryan. I love love the name. It's close. One letter off, but it's close. <laughs> right now, Avery is the more well-liked guy in NFL circles because he's brought you a lot more consistency than Braden Lindsay. But I would say here, if both guys hit their ceilings, it would be Braden Lindsay, in my opinion. Because to mm-hmm. Brian's point with the 40 time he could potentially run and the dynamic element that he brings to the game, I think NFL teams would would prefer that as long as everything else checked out. But obviously, that's a big if, right? Like, we need to see Brayden Lindsay break out. All things equal, if Brayden Lindsay's a good football player and Avery Davis is also a good football, a good to very good football player next year, I think it would be Avery Davis. But a Brayden Lindsay breakout would make things a lot more interesting in that conversation. So for you, you're talking about if Brayden has, like, the kind of TJ Jones breakout we're talking not, about. Not even TJ. I, I would say this, Brian. If if Brayden Lindsay had what you talked about before of, like, a 40-catch, 900-total-yard type of season and he runs in, like, the high 4-3s or 4-4 four, four flat, then I think that he might surpass Avery Davis. But if he doesn't have a dynamic season from a receiving perspective, he's just solid, like he's just a solid to good player, then I think that Avery's would overtake mm-hmm. him easily because I, I know that Avery Davis has draftable grades from NFL yeah. teams right now. He does. so I, w- I would think Avery would, it's my opinion as a non-draft yep. expert, as yep. I just kind of looking and studying what the NFL does, I would think unless Braden has a – tj jones type of breakout i would actually think that avery would have the higher draft profile if he's healthy and if he gets back to his pre-injury 40 times because what we've been told is avery davis is one of the five fastest kids on the team he just doesn't always play fast because of the way he's used in the slot but we've seen at times clemson 2020 purdue last year he can stretch the field I think the reason I would say that, Ryan, is because like what you talked about i think that avery more fits into an nfl role because of his ability to be, a, he's a, he's a really good route runner. You know, he's yeah. he's good in the slot. He can move the chains. I think he could bring more of a role there than sure. than maybe Braden, who's more of an outside guy. Braden's game would have to nuance quite a bit for me to view him as a guy that could go to the next level and play the slot. Where I think Avery's transition to that would be a little bit a little bit cleaner. I, I well, I definitely think that it's cleaner. I think Avery, like you could sell me that Avery Davis gets into the right system, like mm-hmm. New England or like one of those systems where, like, wow, Avery Davis is catching sixty passes a year. That's crazy. Like I didn't see that yeah. coming. You know, coming out of uh, coming out of college, but I, right. I think that he is definitely a more potential higher volume player than Brayden right. Lindsey. I, I just right. I don't think Brayden Lindsey's ever going to be a high volume guy in the next level. Right. Like he can he can have a, a, an important role. It's just not yeah. going to be in a high volume. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I, I would like to see Braden break out in a way that we have to have this conversation next year. Agree. That would be fun. Cause I, cause I, 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 I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic. He could actually jump up around or so, but after watching Kevin Austin go on to draft it, I, you know, it's going to have to come with a lot of technical improvement as well. That's the thing. Got to remember that that year, which I should have calculated a little better Last year's draft was the highest number of draft sure. eligible players ever. Right. <laughs> by, I get that. A good but, margin. But when you're 6'2", 215, you run a four four three with an almost against 40-inch vertical jump, and you average yep. almost 20 yards of catch as the leading receiver for Notre Dame, 
sure. and you don't get drafted, there's some red flags there. I, I think in a typical right. year that Kevin Austin's easily drafted. This year, I sure. don't think that I think that he would have. But I which, feel like yeah. a, a guy that wasn't drafted isn't all of a sudden going to be a third round pick. Not third and, round. And a, no. That's that's my point, right? So yeah. if if Kevin Austin, who has all the physical measurables, mm-hmm. could fall, it's not going to take one breakout year. Now the difference is, is Braden comes in with a lot more pass production than Kevin Austin, and not nearly the like a lot of Braden's injuries have been like hamstring, quad. Right. It's not like torn right. ACL, busted shoulder. It's been it's been smaller stuff in, in sure. my opinion. So that's all tissue injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff yeah. that if you go a couple of years and that's not an issue, you're not getting red flagged for it as much right. uh, as you did before. Especially because Braden's big injury happened during the COVID year. And I got to think there's a lot of people like, well, that was a weird off season. Like kids weren't, you know, it was just, just throw it out. <laughs> there's a lot from 2020. I'm just chucking out of here, you know, and just like not yep. even, not even sweat it. Here, here's an interesting one for you, Ryan, from God Country, Notre Dame Barbecue and Coffee. Mailbag question, if time. We have time, buddy. That's the nice thing about our show. We don't have, we don't, we don't have hard breaks. We don't have shows coming up that we got to end for. You know, like we keep talking as long as you guys have questions. Or we just run out of steam, which <laughs> you guys have gotten us to that point a couple times this summer, which I, I love. Here's the question. Mailbag question time, Ryan. I'll kick this to you. Mm-hmm. Can you guys compare Charles Jagasaw and Blake Fisher? How similar are their games, and who has the higher floor and higher ceiling? It's a very interesting comparison. I know this one was actually thrown into the chat before we even started the show. So me and Brian actually talked a little bit about this one. I I've never made the comparison, so this one is like fresh. You know, it's it's an interesting one. So the so Blake Fisher was a more advanced player at a similar age, right? Like coming out of high school, Blake Fisher was a little more ready to play from a technical perspective. We'll see if Charles takes a step forward as a senior, but as of what we've seen of Charles Jagasaw compared to what we saw of Blake Fisher, he's a little more advanced. I would say for me, I think that Blake Fisher is a little more physically developed as a high school player. Like he has a a little bit of a denser frame, Charles Jagasaw, I think, has a frame where he's going to carry a bunch of weight. I think that they could end up being around the same size. Like, I think they both could be 6'6", 330 pounds at their peaks when they're in college, right? So They just get there a little differently. Charles would have to add weight. Blake is losing weight to get to that 325, 330 thing, yeah. Yep, 100%. So it's going to to come at different parallels, but eventually I think they could get to a similar uh, size profile. I believe, and I would love to hear your opinion on this, Brian, both guys are very naturally strong. I actually think that Charles Jagasaw might have a little more natural power than Blake Fisher. Yeah. A little bit more. I, I do because I think Blake throws his weight around a little bit more than Charles. Yes. Uh, and I also think that Blake plays with better technique. I, I'll say this. I do I do agree with that. I think he's naturally – he's got more punch than Blake. Yes. Yes. I still think Blake has got the better floor and the better ceiling, in my opinion. Oh, agree 100%. Um, right. I mean, the Blake, thing Blake's for me a, is – Blake's a better – Blake's a better athlete, in my opinion. Right. right? Like, just a yeah. little better of an athlete. From I what think we've that seen. He, that's the thing yes. I'm interested to see from Charles with better coaching. I I, yes. I kind of feel like there's some untapped athleticism in there that we haven't had a chance to see because of the, the just the coaching and, and being yes. so raw. But I, I would tend to agree with you. I think Blake's, obviously, like you said, more naturally bigger. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Blake is – Seems to be longer, a little bit longer. Yep. I think that – I think when I look at Blake, again, he was a kid that was a top 50 caliber recruit, in my opinion, as a junior. 
mm-hmm. borderline five-star kid as a senior. I think Charles has a, a ways to go to get there, which is where the floor is higher. I think Blake was a guy that was going to play as a freshman. Sure. We didn't know that he was going to be what he was as a freshman, you know, before the injury, but he was going to play as a freshman. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had people told me that were at fall camp that were saying last year in spring practice, this was in spring practice. Mm-hmm. I had somebody tell me, and, and I, it was repeated by others in the fall. He's their best offensive lineman. It was a former player, a guy that had played under he stand was back for a practice. He's like, dude, that freshman, I don't know his name, but that freshman is the best offensive lineman they have. I think by the from the conversation by best, I think he meant most talented, not necessarily sure. was the best. Sure. But I mean, he he's an incredibly gifted player. I mean, you just don't see guys that are six, six, three thirty that can move like Blake can move when he's healthy. Yeah. The ceiling is similar because I think here's the reason I say the ceiling is higher on top of just the talent. I think Blake could play left tackle in, in, in college. Agree. I don't know if I would say I'd draft him to play left tackle. He it's, it's, it's early for that, right? Let's see how he develops, but it's not out of the, it's not out of question to think that Blake could be a left tackle in the right system in the NFL. Sure. If he progresses, I don't see that for Charles. I see Charles as a right tackle guard. Sure. Now, I think it could be a good one. And I think, you know, again, we're, we're, we don't really grank kids off their NFL production. But as I look at Charles Jagasaw and I see what kind of guys become high draft picks in the NFL, I see nothing that makes me think if coached right and working hard, and I don't think anybody questions his, his work ethic, that he can't be a first-round caliber draft pick. No question Charles has that. But Charles is more of a 15 to 20 draft pick in the first round, where Blake is more of a top 5 to 10 potential draft pick in the first round does that right. i mean is that is that, that I mean, makes make make, makes make clear sense. so again both yeah. could be great but it's like mike mcglinchy i thought was overdrafted at nine i think quentin nelson was underdrafted at six yes right and that's kind of yeah. how i how i view it i don't disagree so, yeah yeah good question though very good question patrick bird how would you rank the wide receivers from the last three classes? So my Pat, my Patrick, I'm not sure when you talk about last three classes, I'm not sure if you want to kind of 20, 21 and 22, or if you're talking about 21, 22 and 23. So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to go 21, 22 and 23. So that's kind of how I'm going to go, Ryan. So let's, for me, let's kind of who, yeah. who the best guy, just as, as they were as prospects, as, as far as what we know, so Lorenzo Styles through senior year, Tobias through senior year, and all that. But these guys through their junior year. So just what they were, kind of by the time their high school careers were over, or up to the point we have knowledge now. My number one guy is still Tobias Merriweather. That's still my number one guy. And I've been back and forth on my two to seven is a little bit more uh, debatable, and I've been back and forth on. But the one I've been consistent on is my number one guy is Tobias Merriweather. Mm-hmm. Who's your top guy? Would it be so, him uh, or is it yeah. Styles? It would be Styles. I'm like fighting with it a little bit because I'm like Merriweather and maybe uh, yeah, I'm I'm still fighting with it a little bit. I, I would I think I would defer to Lorenzo Styles to be honest with you though. I now thought, this I is thought, coming out of high based on what yes. he was coming out of high school. Okay. Yep. 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 yep He's yep, my yep. two. So I mean, it's not it's not one of those ones where I'm going to be like. Yeah. I think if we were talking about NFL draft, right, or where we'd have him, it would be what's your need. Sure. You know, there's going to be teams that are going to need a guy like Lorenzo more than Tobias. But if I'm just saying who's the best player, I'm going Tobias. Mm-hmm. Uh, who would would you have Tobias number two? Is yeah, he definitely your number two? two? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Here's where it gets interesting. So when mm-hmm. we talk about rank, I'm going to say we're going to include the floor and the ceiling together. So just 
Okay. That's, you know, so not like who, if they all maximize the potential, but just combining the two things, good and the bad, floor and the ceiling, how mm-hmm. we rank them that way, which is how my class rankings are. I include the upside grade in there. Yep. Who, who would who would be next for you? So we have Deion Colsey and Jaden Thomas from 2021 class. Mm-hmm. There's no one else in 2022. And then 23, we have all the three class. kids that they have committed in this class. So who would be your next guy on the list? And I'm trying to think in my it head. I've made a... predictions on who I think your picks are going to be, but I'm curious who you're going to have. So this, this one becomes a battle between Braylon James and Deion Colsey for me. Okay. I think I would go Deion Colsey and then Braylon James. Okay. My next two. Tell me why. I think that you just, I think there's just a slightly higher upside with Deion Colsey. If he hits just the size profile coupled with everything. I mean, Braylon, and this is like, this is picking a Lamborghini or a a Maserati right now. Right. Cause like Mm -hmm. both are extremely difficult, but I I guess that just a little more added size on Colsey. If he hits, I guess I would just defer to him. I'm I'm with you. That's where I have mine too. Uh, yeah. Like I said, three to five is like almost a coin flip for me. Mm-hmm. Like there's literally not an answer that you could give me that that doesn't include Colsey James or Jaden Greathouse that I would say no, dude. Sorry, yeah. you're wrong. Right? You give me any one of those three at number three, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I got you. I don't feel that way today, but next Tuesday I may change my mind and I may agree with you. I mean, it's it's literally that close. It's so then perfect, for perfect for, segue is yeah. that Jaden Greathouse is next on my list after Braylon James. So which I assumed. Yes. Right. <laughs> and then six and seven. Six and seven. I would between go Jaden Thomas in 2021 and Rico Flores in 2023. I would go Jaden Thomas and then mm-hmm. Rico Flores. That would be yep. my list. I think Jaden just with the additional size he has and some positional like alignment yeah. flexibility just kind of edges out. I think when healthy, think. here's my big yeah. thing. If Jaden Thomas was healthy. I think he'd be in more of a conversation for being higher than he would be being lower. Sure. And that's the thing is he wasn't healthy as a senior and he wasn't healthy. Most of his freshman year, he's a good football player. Uh, but yes. And then Rico Flores seven and, and any group of seven receivers that has Rico Flores dead last is a pretty darn good group of receivers. hundred percent. There's 100%. no doubt about that. Uh, we're so basically our only difference is at one and two. Yes. We just flipped like one and two. We're, we're yep. on the same page. Now, you ask me this question next week, and I may have Jaden Greathouse number three. I mean, again, it's just it's that close, and, and it's really good football players. In I'm, pu- I'm, pu- I'm putting Jaden Greathouse at number one next time. So okay. get there. Then I'll be like, all right, Ryan's got to go. He had stuff to do. Uh, he, <laughs> he's got he's to get out of here. Good question, Patrick. Really appreciate that. We have a super chat from Hunter. I haven't seen you in a long time since last year's Notre Dame. Cincinnati game, I think, Hunter. Uh, good to see you back. Hey, Bearcats fan here. Just wondering what your expectations for Coach Freeman's first season at his head coach are. Rooting for y'all. Appreciate that, Hunter. Mm-hmm. Ryan, we did a show on this a couple weeks ago. I mean, my expectation is, is that Notre Dame goes in the month of November competing for a spot in the college football playoff. I'm and, sorry. Anything, that's just and anything less is. is a letdown, in my opinion. Yeah. Anything less is a yeah. letdown. I cannot agree yeah. more. They're, they, You're yeah. competing for national championships and playoff berths. Like, yeah. you're competing for that right now. I mean, yep. the floor for this football team should be 10 and 2. And I know there's a lot of BKPTSD people out there, but the reality is, is this team should be 10 and 2 or better. That's just, mm-hmm. that's where it should be. This is a far better team than it was last year. Just for, even if the same coaches were coming back. Right. I'd be saying the same thing. This is going to be a far better football team than it was last year because the talent level to me is so much better because you have a lot of guys coming back. You have a lot of rising sophomores that are going to be much better this year, and they were key players last year. Mm-hmm. It's almost kind of like there's some guys where it's like the ta- the coaching can't even screw that up. Right. Like, honestly, like I'd be like, the co- you can't screw up 
Alton Fisher. You, you just, you can't, you can't screw those two guys up. So I think 10 and two floor for me is where I'm at. And as I said, you, you should be entering the month of November with a chance with it, with no more than one loss. If you have more than one loss going to November, this team was, was disappointing. We have a super sticker from John Banco. John, thank you very, very, very much for that. John also earlier asked a question, and we'll get to that too, but I wanted to thank you for your super sticker. Appreciate that. John Banco says, do you feel that dif- that, that difference in player development by this staff will be stark, as stark as recruiting and how d- dramatically will that ex- expand offensive firepower? No, I, I don't think – I don't think it'll be quite that stark. And and the reason I say is because the difference in recruiting was so much it's easier to have an immediate impact when you're just talking about recruiting than it is to you know turn a guy that's been coached poorly for 3 years into a master technician. That's hard to do. You know, we we've seen this in the past where where guys struggle or maybe they're not developed well and then they transfer somewhere and and they don't have that jump even though the coaching is better because you've had so many bad habits kind of instilled that you got to break and sometimes it can take longer to break those than just a spring and a fall so I don't think it'll be as stark plus we're talking about Notre Dame going from you know having a, a seven to six to nine recruiting year on their best year more so 10 to 12 to having a number one ranked class so that's pretty stark uh, I also, but I, but, but I think the baseline for the roster is a little higher than what the baseline was for typical recruiting classes at Notre Dame. So that's part of it too. Could it, it will expand the offensive firepower? Now that is the thing that I will say. Yes, I think that is where we will see the biggest difference if the coaching is as good as we think it is. If this coaching is, if if they improve the coaching the way that they've they've improved the recruiting the biggest difference we'll see will be on offense in my opinion is, is is that strictly just based upon the fundamentals of playing each position or you think from a just usage perspective as well like all of it in the game plan all yeah. of it i think it goes yeah. together sure i think the f- improved fundamentals give you a chance to be improved when it comes to all the other aspects of it right like you know when when we talk about the bowl game mm-hmm. we say well tommy reese didn't make any adjustments well yeah he did but they just didn't work because the offensive line couldn't execute those things, right? Sure. It's the same thing here. You know, you're in a situation where if the offensive line plays better fundamentally sound football, what does that mean, Ryan? It means the talent takes over. Right. Well, once the talent takes over, you're pretty good. I mean, that was the thing is Harry Heastan didn't turn Quentin Nelson into a great player. Mm-hmm. He 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 from just because like from a guy that didn't have talent. He took a guy with great talent and turned him into a great player. Sure. My point is he didn't take a guy that was just an okay talent and turn him into a great player. Mike McGlinchey had great talent for college. Alex Bars was a talented kid. And so he was able to maximize that. So to me, the talent is there. That's the thing. You could have the greatest coaching in the country. And, and at best, the best you can be is eight and four if you don't have talent, right? Like sure. the, 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 there's a – there's an expression everybody uses us, oh, the Jimmy's and Joe's, not the X's and O's. And I've always hated that expression because it's so false. But the morsel of truth to it is X's and O's can only take you so far. Mm-hmm. The the thing that's not discussed enough is, but talent can also only take you so far. And you need both. And in the past, I felt like they were, and, and, and when I think X's and O's, I think the development, the coaching and all that as well, Ryan. 
yeah the, the the coaching has been the thing that's held this team back not the talent and i think that's where i disagree with a lot of people because how many times so well the nfl draft how many look at there's been several notre dame players that have gone in the nfl draft undrafted that become starters in the nfl that that that's happened several times in recent years yeah romeo guara being one of the earlier ones and then you know matthias farley was that guy you know he mm-hmm. became an nfl starter uh, for a year for the Colts, you look at Blake uh, Brock Wright last year stepping into the starting lineup. Tommy Kramer stepped into the starting lineup last year for the Lions as well. Uh, you know, so because I think that guys just weren't prepared to play to their full potential, and there were some injuries and other factors for certain guys. Sure, but I feel like this team was not—they did not get the most out of this team's talent and product pr- production potential. And I think the biggest difference has been on offense. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think the talent on offense has been better than the talent on defense top to bottom in the last three years. I think the difference is the defense was coached a lot better. That's fair. I think they've wasted a lot of talent on offense in, in the last several years, a lot. And, you know, and I think that's going to change. And so I think that's where we're going to see a, a big jump is offensively. Now, will that mean, you know, 45 points a game? I'm not saying that. I don't think that'll be the case. That's what I heard. Right. <laughs> uh, but do I think it'll be that they can now compete with the big boys in those games? Yes. You know, so Notre Dame, if Notre Dame scores 39 points a game this year or 40 points a game this year, they score 17 against Ohio State, 13 against Clemson, but score 69 against UNLV and 56 against Syracuse and 49 against Stanford. And right. I mean, then you're not any better. It just right. means you're dominating the crap teams even more than you dominated the crap teams before. It's more about sure. can you score when you play the best teams? Can you score on BYU the way you should? Can you score on North Carolina the way you should? Or do you just kind of ugly beat them 31 to 17 on the road like you did last time when you mm-hmm. really should have hung 41 on them if you're playing to your potential? I think those are the different questions. Can you can you get over 20 against Cle- this Clemson defense? A great offense should be able to get over 20 against this Clemson defense. Now, is that going to be easy? Heck no. You got to play at a pretty high level to get over 20 against this Clemson defense. But teams did it last year. NC State did it, right? And they were pretty good defense last year, too. So sure. That's kind of for me, Ryan, where I'm at with that. So yes, I think it'll be stark, but not to the degree that the recruiting is, because it's just a different type of it's just a different type of thing. It's just there's a lot more to it to, you know, because with recruiting, you're basically starting at a as at a baseline. It's just yes. empty. With with players, you're 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 having to deal with any issues that have been there in the past. Deprogramming bad habits. You don't have Breaking to deprogram exactly, yeah. yep. and that's the difference for me, for sure. David Lowe asked Ryan. He goes, "Why didn't Notre Dame go for a transfer portal receiver? They, they gave some guys looks, right? Like mm-hmm. we talked about Charlie Jones, who ended up where Purdue, right? Mm-hmm. The Iowa transfer. It, it just." One didn't make sense, if we're being completely honest. Like that's just the point blank to it. And Notre Dame is tight on scholarship ball, uh, scholarship offers mm-hmm. right now. Like it's they're in a tough spot as far as the numbers game, and the fits that were out there that they had some interest in just didn't make mm-hmm. sense for them. So right for me, it's also I think that the numbers aspect of it was there too. I think there's also a lot of Notre Dame fans look at all these undergraduate receivers that are going from place to place, and and they it, it, look. It, people talk about it's hard for Notre Dame to get you know top recruits into college, and I've said that's nonsense. Like, I, this is a well-known reality in college recruiting. It is a lot harder to get into Stanford than it is Notre Dame. It's a lot harder to stick it and be successful in Notre Dame than it is at Stanford. 
for football players. That's what I've been told for years. Uh, now, having said that, that's not true when it comes to transfers. Yeah. Notre Dame is inc- an incredibly hard place to get an undergraduate transfer to. They had to work hard to get Brandon Joseph there, and he is from Northwestern. Yeah. Yeah. The baseball team had a kid, I was told, had a kid from Harvard that was trying to transfer, and they wouldn't take him it's because crazy. it's not the admissions department. It's the deans of the different academics say, well, this kid's going to come here. He has to have taken this, 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 and this. And they're the ones that sign off on transfers. So it's been very challenging to get that done. And that's something their names need to address. But for now, that's just not the reality of it. So there were some guys they would have gladly taken a look at if they were interested. But yeah. they either, A, weren't interested because Notre Dame wasn't promising them things that, like an Alabama was basically promising, guys, you're going to come here and start because who else is going to start, right? Um, NIL promises were made to Jordan Addison. Notre Dame wasn't doing all that. And, and Notre Dame wasn't promising playing. You have to come here and earn it. And that's just kind of how they are. And, and, and promising a kid something, even if you know he's going to play, it goes against everything Marcus Freeman's trying to build of you're going to come here and compete. Right. And it's just, you know, it just, I think that was a a big part of what went into it as well. Uh, But there just weren't nearly as many options as people think. And those options in most instances would have not have been needle movers. Charlie Jones would have been a nice pickup, but more so for special teams and wide receiver, in my opinion. Just some depth of receiver. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. YouTube user, Salty Virginia Peanuts. I just love that they have him there as, as YouTube user. Uh, do you have a status report on Billy Shrouth? From what I'm told, he's back to working out and moving around really well and, and all that, so he should be good to go. Uh, at, I don't know if it's going to be at the beginning of fall camp. I don't have an answer to that, but I'm told he's going to be good to go for the fall. I don't know if that means September or if he's good to go now. I'm not quite sure on that, but I was told he's good to go for the fall and uh, looking really good. And, we, and we've seen some some of the videos that they've had of the team working out. He's been in out there running in a part of those, those sprints and workouts. So I think that only adds to um, – kind of the fact that he is he is in good shape that's great brian irish mojo 25 brian and ryan can you give your opinion on the on who the starting o and starting d will be for the ohio state game oh we're going through 22 positions right now yeah is that what we're doing we're about to do yeah so i mean offensively ryan i'll say who i think yep. and you tell me if you would go with somebody different sure quarterback tyler buckner yep running back chris tyree with him and audrick estimate being part of a rotation sure Wide receiver, I think it's going to be – this is the one that will be a little bit interesting. Uh, I, I feel that Braden Lindsey and Lorenzo Styles will both be starters. Sure. I have doubts about whether or not Avery Davis is going to be healthy for the opener. If he's healthy, then I think Lorenzo Styles starts in the boundary. Uh, if Davis is not healthy and I don't expect him to be healthy, that's just my opinion. That's my guess on some things I've heard. Not in, It's not intel. It's not giving the kids uh, injury stuff away. It's just me speculating on mm-hmm. on what I think. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna go with – I'm going to go with Deion Coles. He's starting in the boundary or, or uh, I could see them starting in 12 personnel and just having Braden in, 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 uh, I think if, if, if Avery's out, I think we'll see a lot more 12 personnel from Notre Dame where mayors moved around a lot. And then you get into, well, then who's the second tight end. And I'm just going to say it right now, don't sleep on Kane Barong being that second tight end at this point in time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was told he is actually has tied mayor twice in some of the where they do the 225 max outs that wow. twice he has tied mayor for the most of the tight end position. He's got shorter arms. Not yeah. impressed. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. 
Whatever you say, Ryan. Uh, offensive line left to right. Did you see the video on Twitter the other day? That guy that put up like 30-some bench reps and they're like, everybody's like, oh, like this that. is a great thing. And it's like half of them, he's like barely even getting to like, it's like, come on, man. Like like three of those count at the combine. That, you know what that I mean? Was like, that was like Kurt Heinisch at the pro day. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> offensive line left to right. Alt, Patterson, Carell, Lug, and Fisher. Agree. Yep. Defensive line wise, Foskey Viper, Jason Adamula three technique, uh, Howard Cross nose with Jacob mm-hmm. Lacey playing a bunch there as well. Riley Mills is the big end, and then right. Justin Adamula is sort of your super sub type of guy. He's going to play a bunch. He'll play some strong and play some Viper. He'll play a lot of nickel. Uh, he'll play a ton as well. I think Jacob Lacey will play a ton as well. Mm-hmm. Linebacker Rover, Jack Kaiser, Mike, JD Bertrand, Will Maris Lufau. How are we doing so far? Agree, agree. All Secondary right. will be Cam Hart and Clarence Lewis at corner. Tariq yep. Bracy will be part of a three-man rotation and will also be the nickel. the nickel. This is just where I see it right now. And then safety, it'll be Brandon Joseph and Ramon Henderson as of right now is where I would project. I do think there will be a battle for that for second Ramon. safety spot at yep. this point in time. I do. For I what do. we know now, though, I mm-hmm. agree with you. For mm-hmm. what we know now. Yep. So. Rob Lobo123 says, who do you guys expect to be the surprise players for Ohio State? So are you talking about the surprise? I guess, Rob, before we answer, I did want to get to this so I could I could have you follow up. Are you asking for who are we, do we think are going to be the surprise Notre Dame players when they play Ohio State? Or are you asking us to speak about Ohio State? Who do we think are the surprise players for I, Ohio State? The Ohio I, State I, team. I, I so. took it as surprise players to kind of have a big game against yeah. Ohio State is what I so took it as. I'm going to give Rob a, a couple minutes to respond to that and, and follow yeah. up, and so we will come back to that. And if he doesn't, then we'll just go with the angle that you said, Ryan, because that's what I thought it was as well, but I just wanted to sure. give him a chance. Because it would take a completely different direction depending on what he says. 100%. Yeah, we're have a super yeah, exactly. We did have a super sticker from Travis. Thank you, Travis, for that very, very much. Ed asks a question, Brian, last year we struggled tackling with limits on contact and practice these days. How do you improve tackling? Uh, Positioning is the biggest one, Ryan. I mean, Mm -hmm. teaching guys to proper being proper position and proper angles. So it's a, it's a fundamental thing. I also think a lot of older coaches need to get more creative with how they work on tackling, you know? So like um, there were times when, you know, I, we, when I coached one for two years on an option offense. And so a big part of that is, is cut blocking and i thought it was stupid for us to every day be sending those guys shoulders into the grounds so we would i'd get mats out i'd get like the long long jump mat and we'd work on you know cut blocking that way we'd put like a pad down and we'd work on it that way Mm -hmm. Um, there's different things you can do in order to sort of eliminate the the wear and tear or the pounding on the head that people are worried about and still teach tackling i do think you need to uh, do more tackling in fall camp so that way you don't have to do as much in fall practices when you get into the season. Sure. Uh, so I think those that's a part of it. But I think a big part of it is just there's a lot you can do in practice to get guys in position where you're focusing on being in proper position. And then you can decompartment, you can part, compartmentalize a little bit and say, okay, here now we're going to ra- work on fundamentals of tackling, sure. I think is another thing. And now where it's not full on tackling, but if you work enough on those two things, they end up kind of going together when you get into those live situations. 100%. So, yes, I, I do yeah. think that is a, a big can, part. And you, get you better players. Work. Yeah. Well, that's that, the last piece. No, get better players. No, yeah. Get longer players, right? That have bigger tackle radiuses. I mean, right. honestly, though. Right. But yeah, I mean, you can, you can add on, you know, 
you can always add in a form tackle to the end of almost every drill you mm-hmm. do, right? And then you could, you know, have an emphasis on tackle circuits where you don't have to have full contact. It's just more about body positioning, like you said, and taking proper angles and head on the right side and all that type of stuff. So mm-hmm. I agree completely. Yeah. All right. David Lowe, this is for you, Ryan. David says, what are our chances on landing Samuel and Pemba? Look, I, I think that the longer it goes, the less of the ch- the less the chance gets, and we know it's going to go into the fall now. So, I was probably at one point maybe a six and a half with this one. If I'm doing a confidence meter, I would say I'm like a five right now because it's just there's just so much competition for him. You know, mm-hmm. it's I think Notre Dame is going to be in it until the end. I mean, he's in there, he's in his top seven right now, right? But I ultimately think that it's it's going to be a tough pull. But I think Notre Dame's in it. I just with how this one's playing out, I just get less confident as it kind of goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, i i want to see I want to see him commit to going through the fall. Mm-hmm. That would be a thing for me. I I I, I think yeah. I, I'm yeah. I, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I'm going to hold off on to him until we see how Notre Dame closes out this summer, because I think that's going to factor into it as well. Meaning. If they get all the players that we think they're going to get, he's like, he's it. That's the board. Yeah. That's your 2023 that's where, that's, board. That's where all the attention goes now, right? right. Like, hey, right. every right. coach is calling you every exactly. single day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that increases your chances. If you're having to expand the board because you had some misses, then, you know, it's a little different deal. 100%. Irish Mojo 25 says, what would you consider a breakout year for Tyler Buckner? For me, it's about at least 2,800 yards around 60% completion percentage and at least 500 yards rushing to me would be a breakout year. I mean, you're talking about a kid who's not played a ton. I think that would be a breakout year for me. Does that mean breakout the same way in which CJ Stroud and Bryce Young broke out last year? No. Is it more similar to what Ryan Van Dyke did last year? Or excuse me, Tyler Van Dyke did last year from Miami. Ryan is a great name though. Yes. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke did last year. That's a lot more what I think a breakout looks like. It's kind of like Trevor Lawrence is a freshman. Like, okay, because he did that doesn't mean that every freshman has to do that moving forward or he's a bust. Now, right. Most guys, a breakout doesn't include you threw for 4,800 yards and won the Heisman as your redshirt freshman at Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, a more traditional breakout is what we saw from Tyler Van Dyke. You know, about 3,000 yards total offense, took over in about the third game. Uh, he got more passing yards. Well, they were losing a lot more too and played some bad teams. So, yeah, I think minimum 2,800 yards passing – Minimum 500 yards rushing, minimum 35 total touchdowns. Minimum are the numbers that he has to get to those or some balance of. So if he ends up becoming a beast thrower and he's 3,300 yards rush throwing and he's only 300 yards passing, cool. You know, uh, if he runs for 800 and only throw, you know, run, throws for 2,600 and he's dynamic at it, cool. Right, mm-hmm. but those are the numbers I look at, Ryan. Anything would you uh, would you change I, those I was, anywhere? I, I was going to say thirty five hundred total yards, so just a little bit higher than you said. I think you said like twenty eight hundred passing, five hundred rushing at minimum. Yeah, so like, like thirty three hundred. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would say thirty five hundred somewhere in that ballpark, and then touchdowns is interesting because obviously we're doing total touchdowns. So I'd say your thirty five numbers are pretty realistic. Yeah, one, and, right? and like twenty five touchdown right. passes, ten rushing, like or, or twenty eight and seven, thirty sure. and five. Right? You know, yeah, uh, sure. minimum, minimum yeah. is the numbers on those. I want to make sure that I emphasize those. Part of the reason I'm at thirty three hundred is because I think there's going to be some really big blowouts this year. There's some look, there's some teams in the schedule that are just flat awful. I mean, just <laughs> awful 
Yeah. Right. I mean, they, they're just, you know, they're, and there's other teams. If Notre Dame's the team we think they are, they're, he's not going to be playing four quarters against Marshall. He's not going to be playing four quarters against Cal or Stanford or Navy or UNLV or Syracuse. I mean, there's going to be a lot, there's going to be games like that. And that, that just to me are going to kind of tamp the numbers down a little bit because part of it is they're going to, you know, other people are going to be running for big plays in that. Sure. Here's an interesting one from Nick Duda. Mm-hmm. Based on your recent conversations about past teams, I've been rewatching games from Josh Adams in 15 to 17. What kind of blocking scheme to open up those gaping holes? How similar will that be with Harry Heastan back? So um, depends. The two main plays, there were really three concepts that were most effective for Notre Dame uh, in that 2017 season. Really three plays that became like the big plays for Notre Dame. Uh, inside zone was one, right? So uh, if you think of the the long 80-plus yard touchdown against USC, that was just inside zone. It was a zone read look uh, where Brandon Wimbush kind of pulls it, like, you know, or fakes a pull, and that kind of occupied people. And then Alex Barnes just muscles a guy into the A gap, and Josh cuts right into the B gap for a long play. Uh, they had a lot of success that year with Buck Sweep. Uh, they had a 70 plus yard touchdown against North Carolina to the left on the buck sweep, uh, in that, in that win. So they had a couple big plays off the buck sweep. I think they also had a, a, about a 60 yard touchdown run against Miami of Ohio off of a buck sweep, the opposite direction. Uh, and, but a lot of those were inside zone was one, but those two, and then also counter, they had some big plays off the counter play and they going back to 2015. If you remember, Ryan, you remember that long touchdown run they had against Stanford in 2015, uh, that was off counter, just counter trade to the right, and you know just blew it open. And Steve Elmer had a really good block. Q had a really nice kickout block, and then Adams goes vertical, cuts it all the way back for a touchdown. Those are the three plays that were primarily the big drivers of success. I think we will see all those concepts with Harry back, but another concept we're going to see more of is Notre Dame is adding a lot more duo into their run con- their run concepts now, which is a something a lot more teams are going to. Uh, mm-hmm. It's going to look a lot like zone to the naked eye, but it's definitely different. Uh, and so we may we may do a video on that to put on the premium message board here to kind of tell people the difference. But it's yeah. it's a, it's just a downhill run, uh, basically that we'll see some we'll see some success on. And you can run you can run read off of it. Uh, you can use RPO off of it, but it's also a run that you can just call. You don't need to protect an edge, and I mean it's kind of designed to protect an edge with the blocking scheme where you don't need to have the read zone concepts into it. So uh, I think yep. we'll see more of that this year as well, but those will be the, I mean, buck sweep, I think we'll see uh, obviously the inside zone with reads off of it. We'll see. And then of course we'll see counter. Those will be the concepts we see. And I think counter is the play we're probably going to see the most improved success with. That was a big play for Notre Dame in 2020. If you remember the Chris Tyree touchdown running his Florida state, that was counter. I mean, just mm-hmm. patient, let it break open, just bam, explode vertically. So I think those will be the three. Those will be three of the four concepts we'll see a ton of, uh, in my opinion, this year. I love duo, by the way. Love yeah. duo. We'll have to have a fun little talk, you and I, about that about that play because that's a yeah. that's something a lot of people are turning to. And obviously, uh, had a fun, interesting conversation with somebody about that the other day, and just mm-hmm. kind of learning more about that concept and different things like that. So. All right, here we go. We've got several offensive line questions, so I love these. Uh, Salty Virginia Peanuts, which member of the offensive line is, by personality, most receptive to Harry Heastan's coaching, if not Joe Alt? How receptive is Joe? I can't speak to Joe specifically, Ryan, because I don't know Joe. I would imagine he would take well to it because of who his dad is and the fact that he played it for under Kurt Friends and played in the NFL. 
who is the most receptive to Harry Heastan's coaching? I mean, I couldn't tell you if there's one guy. I, I think they've all kind of taken to it pretty well from what I've been told. I would say that the biggest question mark I have is Blake Fisher, just because I always have question marks about how your most talented guy reacts well to new coaches, and especially someone who didn't recruit him. But a lot of the co- a lot of the players that Notre Dame has were actually recruited by Harry Heastan, at least for a time. Zeke Carell was initially recruited by Harry Heastan. Andrew Krasovka was initially yeah. recruited by Harry Heastan. Uh, you you look at obviously um, uh, Josh Lug. So three of your starters potentially could be guys that Harry had a role in recruiting. At least two had yep. some role in recruiting. He didn't recruit Jarrett Patterson. So, but I think they're all going to take to it. And and I, I don't think we should underestimate Jarrett Patterson's receptiveness to it either, Ryan, because that's why he came back. I think a big 100%. part of the reason Jarrett Patterson came back, because you've said this, he's probably a second round pick at worst last year if yep. he comes out, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think a big reason he came back was he wanted to be coached by Harry. So, I don't know if there's one guy, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know if there's one guy. One guy that did pop in my head was Zeke Carell, just because, mm-hmm. I, I I, mean, everything we've heard, the early reviews, is that he really is turning everything on in spring, right? So, obviously, he must be taken to it pretty well, right? Just, I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of a easy thing to kind of parallel there. But I also think that he's kind of got that, like, tough guy persona to him, too, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think that he – I don't think Zeke Carell shies away from hard work. So, but to your point, I don't think anybody in that room really shies away from hard work. I think it's a really, really tough group in general, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So, good stuff. More offensive line. Irish Shy Town. Brian, what was Coach Heastan's best offensive line? This is a great one. And I, you're, I'm going to surprise you with this. Uh oh. His best offensive line, in my opinion, was 2015. The I reason I, okay. Because I think that was the best all-around offensive line. I don't think the 2017 offensive line was quite as good in pass pro. Mainly because I, I don't think Mike McGlinchey was great in pass pro against the better edge rushers. And and so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go 2015. I think 2015, when you consider all the things that kind of went through, uh, that offensive line had the most adversity to face. I think the 2017 was by far the best run blocking offensive line. By okay. far. Yep. But I think 2015 had more overall left-to-right talent. And 2007 and 2015 also, to me, was the better overall pass-blocking unit, in my view. 20, 2015, a lot of NFL teams would take that offensive line. Yes. From that like, 2015 team and be like, yes. yup, would like that. Right. If Thank Steve you. Elmer would have decided to stake with football, yeah, you'd, yes. You'd be talking probably about five guys that were starters in the NFL that it would be there now. Yes. 100%. Yes. And and um, well, you had a, a first round pick at left tackle, a first round pick at left guard, a uh, second round pick at center. Who started Elmer, a bunch right. of games? <laughs> El- Elmer yeah. was a three year starter in Notre Dame and left after his junior year. And then you had a first round pick at right tackle. And I would argue the 2015 was Mike McGlinchey's best year. It's fair. He was a dominant right tackle in 2015. Like he was really good in 2017, but he was really good in 2015, in my opinion. So uh, another example of just them wasting just a really loaded team, a really loaded team. Anyway. All right. Let's see here. Got some more. Uh, Jay Henry says, uh, Brian and Ryan, how does Caleb Beasley compare to Christian Gray and who's the better prospect? So let's look at two, two ways. I want you to answer that question, Ryan, and I'll give my opinion too. who's the better prospect right now with where they are right now. And who was the better prospect as a sophomore? Well, I mean, 
I mean, yeah, that makes it so tough. I, 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 I mean, right now, I guess I would go Christian Gray with all things that we know right this second. I mean, Christian Gray has kind of an advanced feel to him. I will say to your second part of your question, though, Brian, projecting forward to what I think Caleb Beasley and Christian Gray are going to be as seniors, I would probably defer to Caleb Beasley in that situation because I think Caleb's just a little more of a difference maker athletically, right? Like, I think he's got a little bit of a higher ceiling, but – Right now, again, you're comparing a guy that's about to be a senior to a guy that just finished up a sophomore year. So it would be Christian Gray now, but I think it's going to be Caleb Beasley. I think it's a lot closer, mm-hmm. I think, than I, – I think Caleb Beasley's really good. And I, I can't believe he's not ranked higher. I, I don't get it. I think he's stronger. I think Christian's a little bit more fluid. I think Caleb's a yeah. little bit more explosive. I think Christian has a little bit better long speed. Long speed. I think Caleb has a little bit more explosiveness. They're very different players in a lot of ways, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'd probably go with Christian right now based on where they are both right now because the difference between a high school sophomore and a high school junior is a lot different than a high school college sophomore to a college junior. Sure. Whereas when they're college sophomore junior, they're both more developed and kind of, you know, it's more technical and strength, weight room strength as opposed to just the physical growth that kids go through from their sophomore to junior seasons. So, yes, um, that that's that's a good question really good question i, I like that jay thank you ben, benjamin carchi if tommy stays in the booth this season who will call plays on the sideline uh who would you like to see i don't care I, and so no one on the sidelines calling plays i just make sure people understand the language because i don't think you mean this benjamin but the way it's written it's it, no the only person that calls plays is tommy reese right. the people on the field signal in what tommy reese is calling yeah. uh, i think that that the I feel like the focus that they had last year, it was some weird storyline about Lance Taylor's role of calling plays in the field was more of just a weird thing that the Notre Dame people talked about to give people something to write about. I don't, it, it's, it's no different than what any other team does. You have a coach on there that's designated as the guy that talks to the players when they come off the field because the, the, other, the play calls up in the booth. And that, mm-hmm. that everyone does that. That's not unique, but it became a story at Notre Dame last year because I, I don't know why do half the things become stories and Notre Dame become stories. Like, you know, like all of a sudden within a week, everyone seems to be talking about if Notre Dame goes eleven and one, this is the best coaching job of Brian Kelly's career. Just randomly, all of a sudden, everybody starts talking about that, right? Um, I, I don't know why it became a thing. And NBC does it. You know, I mean, they they promote it because they need something, I guess, to talk about. You know, since they weren't diving into the analysis the way they did under Mayock. But honestly, Benjamin, it, it doesn't matter. Whoever is the best communicator. I mean, it, 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 honestly, at the end of the day, though, what I care more about is just someone who's going to relay what Tommy Reese says. And whether that's Dylan McCullough or Chancey Stuckey or Jared Parker, I, I, I don't care. You know, and there's, you know, Harry's going to talk to the old line and the other person's going to talk to others. And that's just kind of how it's going to go. So, uh, but who's going to call plays on the sideline? It's the people that signal in plays have always been the quarterbacks. That's who it's always been. Like the thing with Lance Taylor last year, that was just more of a, he would be the guy that would talk to the offense when they'd come to the sidelines. He wasn't calling in plays though. The quarterbacks are the ones that signal in plays. And they usually have three, two of them are usually live. So one guy's calling formation. And then only one of them has the play call. Another one is oftentimes signaling in like some sort of personnel grouping or formation or alignment. And then there's always usually at least one dummy call. So uh, meaning you're, you're trying to not let the defense know who's actually signaling in so they can kind of get an idea of who who you're watching. So 
Yeah. I never heard that Lance Taylor thing before. That's interesting. Yeah. Talked about it a lot last year. It's like, okay. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Uh, Wade Garrett's being that guy. I, I love it a little bit. Uh, sitting on the beach in Kuau. I don't know. How, I think that's the way to say Kauai? it. I'm not sure. Kauai. Kauai. There you go. That's uh, in Hawaii. Watching the show. No questions. Just bragging. Go Irish. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, good one, Wade. We're all jealous. Uh, Irish Shy Town says, uh, Brian, do you think Tommy will call any run options with Tyler? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Quite a few. Yep. Here's an interesting one I like, Ryan. Colonel Clink's monocle says, Brian and Ryan, by the end of the season, which three units will have improved the most compared to where they were last year? I think we both know who number one is. Yeah. Offensive line would yeah. be number one, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're going there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Offensive line would be number one. Wide receiver would be number two for me. Mm-hmm. And number three. It's corner for me. Corner for you? Really just secondary in general. Yeah. I think secondary is going to be a lot better by season's end, by the end of the season. Yeah. yeah. I think the secondary is going to be a lot better because last I'm year you s- had Xavier Watts made a transition to secondary in the middle of the season. Right. I mean, as late as North Carolina, Ramon Henderson was playing corner. You know, I mean, so you, you moved him out when Kyle Hamilton got hurt. Cam Hart mm-hmm. was in his first year as a starter. Tariq Bracey was kind of still rebounding from his kind of collapse in 2020. So I think by the end of the year, the secondary is going to be pretty good. Will it be enough to beat Ohio State? That I don't know. But I'm a lot more confident against this secondary holding up against USC than I am against Ohio State. Just Fair. because of the experience that they're going to get, so that's that's my third. What who, who I, would your I, third be? I was wrestling between cornerback and linebacker. Linebacker okay. was the other one that I wanted to mention because you're getting Maris Loyfell back, which I think is going to mm-hmm. be a huge bu- bonus. You're moving JD Bertrand into a position that I think is more natural for him at Mike potentially. You have guys like Junior Tuilamaka and the freshmen that are now coming in. So I think you're going to make a lot more plays on the second level this yep. year than you did last year. I think we could see. I think that the what I'll, I'll say is this: I would not be shocked if, by the end of the year, the group that makes the biggest jump in production and of groups that we can measure production is linebackers. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think you could be right on that. Yep, right on that. It's a good one, and I think that's debatable. I would not sit there like, nope, it's it's secondary, man. It's got to be. I think it's debatable on who's going to be sure. a big jump. Hopefully, we're having that debate at the end of the year. I hope so too. That would be a good thing. Uh, ND Mac, this is a great question. On the topic, do you think they carry the extra year for COVID too long? Feels like it's punishing high school kids that possibly lost a year of high school football and are now behind guys uh, more mature in fifth and sixth years. I'll, I'll say the mistake that I think they made was not expanding the rosters beyond that first year afterwards. Agree. So, like, in 2021, last year, there was unlimited scholarships, and now they're just immediately back to 85. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a mistake. Uh, I understand where you're saying, you know, I, I don't think it's high school kids beyond, behind those. I think what's happened is a lot of high school kids didn't get scholarships they would have otherwise gotten because teams were bringing back six-year and fifth-year guys they wouldn't have otherwise brought back, which right. meant because you're back to 85, you had to make some tough decisions about high school kids. And so I think that was the mistake they made. They should have gradually worked it back to to me to 85. And, and like to me, I would say at the earliest next year is when you should have gone back to 85. And I think you could have made a case for 95 this year, 90 next year, and 85 the next. Uh, but I but I also understand that there would have been some teams that have abused the heck out of that 95 for this year. Sure. You know, especially teams that don't have guaranteed four-year scholarships like the SEC, which I still don't I don't believe they have four-year guaranteed scholarships. 
and they, even the ones that they do, they they chase kids off all the time. So mm-hmm. I understand it, but it definitely should have been, at least been 2023 before you went back to 85. I think that was a big mistake. I, I agree and, with the the roster. I think the roster expansion is the biggest thing for me. I think that they should have allowed the unlimited scholarships because, I mean, from my perspective, from an NFL draft realm for a, perspective, for a second, I talked about this a little bit earlier when we were talking about the Avery Davis, Braden Lindsay, you know, evaluation. The NFL draft last year had 2,100 players in it, which was up from mm-hmm. 650 the year before. So I th- that the point of that is, is that I think it's going to correct itself pretty quickly. Like, I don't think this log jam is going to be to the level that it has been over the last, like, you know, last year or so. So I think it's going to correct itself pretty quickly. But to Brian's point, not keeping it at unlimited scholarship has punished a lot of high school. Right. So I don't really – I think the bigger impact is that than the actual – extra COVID year, if that makes sense. I don't know if I would have kept it unlimited for the mm-hmm. second year, like 2022, uh, I, but I would have had it more than 85. Like it's 90 kind of or something? Yeah, like, or, like, like yeah. ideally, I probably would have gone like unlimited 95, 90, 85 in 2024. But I, again, I, I also think that would have meant a lot of, you know, that, that would have made it, the teams would have taken advantage of that. So yeah. I'd have been okay going 90 and then – back to 85 but some sort of eventually working down to 85 would have been more ideal in my opinion it's a good question indy mac another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Coach Bent 574, can you rank the last timers based on lack of production due strictly to lack of coaching? So who are the guys that, that to me, so basically I'm taking this, Ryan, we're going to yep. rank them first to last on lack of production based on lack of coaching. I, I will say... I'm putting Kevin Bauman at the bottom of my list because mm-hmm. I don't think the tight end coaching was a problem. I think John McNulty was a so, at the very least a solid tight ends coach. The very and, and you also had, you also had dudes in front of him, right? right. So it's not like he's right. just been in a room and it's just he's like, been oh. injured a lot, right? Like, right. oh, this guy would have been so good if he'd been coached better. Like, no, he was right. buried behind talented players. He's been banged up a lot. I think that's a that's like running back. I'm not blaming running back coaching for why some, you know Chris Tyree didn't have a good year last year. You know, I think Lance Taylor's a good football coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just the O line stunk, and Chris was banged up, and other factors like that. Receiver, different story. So, yeah, uh, you know, to me, lack of success based on lack of production of the five. I mean, it's Brayden Lindsay number one, uh, sure, due to lack of coaching. Uh, I'd probably go. I'd probably go Josh Lug number two because I count part of that is they kept moving him to places he shouldn't have played. That's a coaching decision. Sure. You know, uh, not, I mean, they should have put, I mean, they flat out should have moved Robert Hainsey to center in 2020 sure. and let Josh play tackle Robert offered. He wanted to do it, but they decided not to. So instead they put Josh Lug at center, which was really stupid. Uh, if we're going to be honest about it, I'd go, I'd go him. Number one, I'd go Bauman. Number five. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd probably, so Lindsay one lug two. Mm-hmm. Definitely Christophic three for me, and, and then the Wilkins four. Yeah, would yeah. be my order. Bauman five. Yeah. I, I would, I would be, I would be the same. I think I, 
Yeah, I think I would be you the same. You can make a case I, for moving Christophic up one. I know. Two two and three was the ones that I was thinking, like, do I want yeah. to flip? But I think to your point, the fact that Josh has also been, like, just jockeyed in so many different directions, mm-hmm. right? Like, it positionally, I think has really hurt his growth a lot. So, Yep, agree. All right, let's get – we got a few more here before we wrap up. Connor O'Doherty, do you guys think that Braden Lindsay can become a 1,000-yard receiver best-case scenario? I know you guys talked about him not necessarily being that guy but being dynamic nonetheless, but who knows? I think he can. Yeah, I think he can. Willie, I'm not predicting that, but here's the way yeah. I look at it. Number one, he doesn't need 70 catches to get to 1,000 yards, number one. Number two, yeah, if Michael Mayer is what we think he will be and Lorenzo Styles is what we think he could be, yeah, there's a chance that Brayden Lindsey is going to have a lot of three-catch 120-yard games. Yeah, and Notre Dame's going to play at least 13 games. You know, I mean, thousand yards nowadays is not like what it was back in the day. I mean, right? If they if they only play one postseason game, he only needs to average seventy six point nine yards a game to get to thousand yards. There's going to be games Braden gets that in two catches. That that's my thing, you know. And then there's going to be games he gets it in six catches because he's going to catch a bunch of you know RPOs because of it. His thousand yard season would have more to do with guys around him just being really good and teams just say we're going to have to cover him one on one. So yeah, sure. I think he's capable of it. Am I going to predict it? No. But would I be shocked by it? Not really. I, I really would. I think Brady Lindsay's a really talented player. Um, you know, I, I, I do. I just I think right now he's probably their third best pass catcher. I think the other thing is too is even if he if even if he's that guy, you're going to see running backs catch the balls. You're going to you know. I mean, there's there's just going to be different things. So yeah, I, I think he could be that. I do. I do. I'm more confident he could be that guy than Ryan is. Yes, I'm just not yeah. predicting it. Well, the last thing you said though, Brian, is the fact that I just think there's like a lot of mouths mm-hmm. to feed. You yeah. know, like it's just there's just a lot because yeah. Chris Tyree can do stuff in the passing game, obviously, right? Michael Mayer, no brainer. Lorenzo Stylish Jr., one of the other sophomores, maybe breaking out. Tobias Merriweather coming in. I just right. think there's a lot of mouths to feed. That's right. my only hesitation. It's not. It's not really a knock on the talent level of Braden Lindsay. It's just more like right. what, how much, what's the bot? Cause I know you're saying he needs a lower volume, but even then it's still sure. a lot of guys to feed in this. Offense. Probably going to need at least 50 touches to get to a thousand yards. You know, especially if he's getting a lot, you know, so, I mean, but, but I think he's capable of it. I, I just, I'm not predicting it. I think he's sure. capable of it. And, and that's the thing that, that we have. I mean, like, look, here's an example, Ohio state in 2019, right? Mm-hmm. If you, if you look at their, their season their starting quarterback justin fields in 14 games you know passed for 3200 yards they had 3600 yards passing as a team that's kind of on par with what notre dame has been doing in recent years in 13 games and that season they didn't have a single guy not only did they not have a single guy get to a thousand yards they didn't get anybody to 900 yards why because this it was spread around you had six guys that had at least 247 yards you had three guys at at least 500 yards, you know? So, I mean, the balls were spread around more. Right. And, and to me, that's kind of, that's kind of how I see it being. I mean, 2018, it's probably even better example. Dwayne Haskins that year threw for four, as a team, they threw for 5,100 yards. Dwayne Haskins threw for over 40, 4,800 yards. Their leading receiver in 14 games had 1,063 yards. Again, similar thing. Four guys had at least 669 yards at least eight guys had at least 200 yards receiving that year. And I think who was, that's – Who was the 1,000-yard receiver that year? Paris Campbell. It, uh, Paris Campbell. Yes. Yeah. And he had it on 60 – he had it on 90 catches. K.J. Okay. Hill had 68 for 869. Terry McLaren had 35 for 701. Johnny Dixon went 42 for 669. 
so forth and so on. So I think to your point, Ryan, I, I think that now Notre Dame won't have as many receivers maybe catching balls potentially, depend, you know, but between the run, between Chris Tyree, between the tight ends, you know, like basically in this scenario, the 90 for 163 is most likely Michael Mayer. If sure. a Notre Dame player is going to have 90 catches for a thousand yards, it's going to be Michael Mayer, not Braden Lindsay. And and I just think with Tyler Buckner quarterback, they're not going to be a team that's going to throw for 4,000 yards this year. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to be more balanced in my opinion, which is going to factor into it as well. But is he capable of it? Yes. I think he's capable yes. of having that kind of year. That is, that is my, that is my opinion. Mm-hmm. So let's get to, let's get to, uh, I didn't see Rob do to follow up with the question. Okay. So, uh, let's kind of answer the question as far as breakout players for Notre Dame for the Ohio State game. Uh, I mean, sure. my first answer is I have no idea uh, here, but I'll say this: I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it more who I hope breaks out in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first one is Chris Tyree on offense because I feel like if Chris Tyree can rip off a couple runs early, that makes Notre Dame's offense. And you could insert Audric Estime if you wanted to. It's more of running back being the key. Yeah, but like if Chris Tyree can kind of go into Columbus and do at the beginning of the game, kind of like what Sear Wood did on Notre Dame's first drive against Oklahoma, which is just house it fifty yards and like shut the crowd up like immediately, uh, that would be big for Notre Dame because then all of a sudden, if you're got to worry about Chris Tyree gashing you for a fifty-yard touchdown, now all of a sudden your RPO game opens up a little bit. Now all of a sudden your Michael Mayer opens up a little bit. So and now all of a sudden you got to, you know, Tyler Buckner's pulling one on the outside and your safeties or your overhang defender still peeking inside, looking at Chris Tyree because he just housed one. Mm-hmm. So he would be one that I would say would definitely be a breakout player for me. And then my next two on offense or pick any two offensive linemen. That would be, uh, that's that would where be I was going to go, me. man. <laughs> my, my, my offensive guy was going to be, because I actually took it as there's, I, I picked one offensive guy and one defensive guy in my head. So the defensive guy was easy. I was going to go Maris foul just because mm-hmm. yeah, Maris foul guy. I was going to pick Blake Fisher because, again, we've only seen a game and a half of, of Blake – or not even a half, a game and a couple series of Blake Fisher. Brian, I think that he is a chance because there's a lot of names on that Ohio State defensive line. I know they're not developed properly, mm-hmm. but Jack Sawyer and Zach Harrison and JT, I think – I mean, Blake Fisher has a chance to physically dominate those dudes and be like, oh, he's yeah. that guy. Like, he's he's that dude. Yeah, you know? he, so. he would set a tone because they're names. I mean, you know, they weren't great. Names? It's like – some Ohio State homer jumped on the the site the other day. With all due respect, Archer, you got some fans that are just dumb, and I know Notre Dame does too. But I, I'm sorry, growing up in Ohio, Ohio State fans are just the worst. Uh, maybe that's why you're normal because you don't live in Ohio, Archer. Uh, but like some guys, like oh, you know, because uh, I made a comment in that the the where we went position by I went position by position and who I thought had the advantage. And I said that, you know, Notre Dame's four-star, non-top 100 defensive lineman have outplayed Ohio State's five-stars. He's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah. It's like, okay. I mean, he has no concept that Isaiah Foskey, uh, in my opinion, had more sacks last year last year than Zach Harrison's had his entire career. You know, that he had more sacks last year than their three five-star DNs combined. You know, I mean, you, you take any of their two five-star defensive ends and add their sack numbers together, and they equal Justin Adamiola's total from last year. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just like the the point is there's this perception in Ohio State's got these dudes, right? And 
I think scouts fall into that as well. Draft analysts fall that in the as well. And when they pop on the film and Blake Fisher's pushing around Zach Harrison or Jack Sawyer, whoever else, that'd have a big impact if that were to happen. So yes, I think sure. that would be a I think that's a pick one. And then of course the last one is you gotta hope that it's Tyler Buckner. I mean, if, if Tyler Buckner can have a breakout, that's pretty big. Defensively, I think Maris is a good one. And and I'll tell you what, if Notre Dame's going to have a chance to make a play, some secondary guy is going to step up and make a big play that you hope. And it, it, that's Brandon not James Brandon. Jo- it's not going to be Brandon Joseph. Why? Why can't and it won't Why can't because they're it? not going to go to him in the big moment, right? I mean, that's the reality. In the big moment, they're going to pick on Ramon Henderson or Clarence Lewis or Tariq. They're not going to pick on on Cam Hart, and and they're not going to go at Brandon Joseph because what the, what happened when they tried to go at Brandon Joseph in the end zone in the Big Ten Championship game two years ago? You picked them off. Right. They know who Brandon Joseph is. That's my point. And it's going to have to be another another secondary guy is going to have to be that breakout. Plus, Brandon Joseph isn't a breakout player. He was an All-American two years ago. He's never played for Notre Dame. So. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> What's it like to be wrong? And then, <laughs> and then Archer asks, he goes, Brian, I'll ask on the other side of it, who will be the surprise players for Ohio State against Notre Dame? So. Um, I, I have a couple answers, I think, for this mm-hmm. one. Um, wh- no, and we're not going to be jerks and say people are going to be surprised at how bad C.J. Stroud plays against Notre Dame. Uh, we're not going to be jerks uh, like that. We'll, we'll try to show respect to it. I, I think, number one, I actually watched a little bit on defense of Steel Chambers recently, mm-hmm. and he was a running back to linebacker convert and was actually their best linebacker last year in a very weird kind of transition there. I think Steele is going to be a good player. Um, mm-hmm. So I think if he is takes a step up, he could be a guy. Because I know he's a guy that people know, but like I think he has a chance to step up into one of the better linebackers in college football, mm-hmm. potentially, with the talent he has. So I would go Steele Chambers. And the other one would be any other wide receiver not named uh, Jackson Smith and Jacob, but, I guess. But I don't right? think like, – would that be – like if Marvin Harrison comes out and plays well – Not him as much. Because last time you yeah. saw him, he was a dude. But like that's what if Julian thing, Fleming right. breaks out or – yeah. I think Buka breaks right. out. Like, right. you know, I don't know. Yeah. Or Kate I, Stover. Maybe he has a big game. And you're like, wow, they actually threw yeah. the tight ends for once. That's great. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And G or, Scott or did he train? I wonder if G Scott transferred. I think he's still there. Okay. Uh, actually, my, my real answer though, now think about it, is Paris Johnson moving from offensive guard to left tackle. If he has a big game against Isaiah Foskey, then sure. Like okay, that would be a surprise. Opener. That'd be yeah. a surprise to me. Yeah, that's yep. fair. That's fair. Or if like um, you know, one of their guards, whoever replaces him at right guard. Uh, handles Jason Adamiola, something like that would be a surprise for me. I don't predict it's. I don't predict it to be honest with pre- you. I don't predict that yeah. one at all. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, yeah, I, I I think if I were to surprise, and I don't know who it would be. I think I think if Ohio State's going to have a surprise pair on defense during the year, it's going to be somebody that beats out one of the current linebackers. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be like you know, like CJ Hicks takes over as a starting job as a freshman, or you know, somebody somebody that's been there in the past that's maybe moving around steps in at linebacker because they're. Their linebacker play last year was just bad. I mean, it, it was. was. It was just bad. Maybe it's and the Cody fact Simon. That, yeah. I mean, it was just it was not good. It, it yes. was just not good. So I think that I think that would kind of be it would be somebody like that. It would be somebody that just isn't playing a ton. I, I don't I don't think if secondary wise, I just I don't think any of the safeties are gonna necessarily surprise anybody. I think mm-hmm. their corners are good players. You know, I think it wouldn't surprise anyone if they locked down their Rams receivers because the, the expectations for their Rams receivers aren't that high. Right. So I, I think it would be – I think it would be – if some safety or linebacker can come in and just, like, hang with Michael Mayer all game, I think that would be a surprise too. I just don't know who that is because I don't think any of them can. 
And that's that's the thing is like we spend all this time talking about the 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 matchup problems that Notre Dame is going to have against Ohio State, and nobody's talking about the fact that Notre Dame presents some matchup problems for Ohio State too. Sure. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be whose matchup advantages are perform better. You know, does Notre Dame's edge outperform Ohio State's receivers, so to speak? You know, because one's going to neutralize the other. If Ohio State players are coming out there. Um, having production, you know, making quick plays and and getting make neutralize the D line, then that's gonna help Ohio State in a big way. If if they've got to throw vertically, but Notre Dame's putting great pressure on CJ Stroud, maybe can force him into a couple mistakes, uh, you know, then then sure, then then all of a sudden the pass rush takes over. So I think it's gonna be those type of things gonna be fun, be the fun part of it. But look, somebody that we're not expecting is going to make an impact in that game for the winning team. Sure. And that's part of the fun thing I love about college football is is that. And hopefully it's a Notre Dame guy. Uh, obviously for for our sake so let's see here chief brody brian do you think they will try to mix in more tempo this season i think they better i mean uh, just to me i'm not i don't think tempo needs to be the end-all be-all i am fine being a team that's built more on like i wrote an article about this ryan and i talked about the difference between efficiency and tempo right so is your focus on efficiency meaning you're going to run 65 plays a game and average seven-plus yards per play, or is your Mm -hmm. focus on running 90 plays and being closer to six yards per play? Which is the one you're more focused on? Now, in the perfect world, you're you're, you're running 75 for eight a play because you're a big play team that's going fast, right? I think that's what – you know, but I think a, a team that's built more on precision and efficiency. So it's like precision versus tempo. I think Tommy Reese wants to be more of a precision guy. He's not as concerned about going fast as he is. Let's use motions and shifts and personnel to figure out a way to isolate, get a leverage advantage, get a a matchup advantage, things like that, as opposed to just forcing you to line up base defense because we're going so fast and then we're going to, you know, we're going to do this. That's just not who he is. He's more of a pro style guy, in my opinion. And that can work. Uh, But I always think it's good to have the ability to just come out for a team that's waiting for precision to have the ability to just come out and say, "Hey guys, we're gonna go. We're gonna go at them this series. It's we're gonna go up. eleven personnel, and we're just gonna go. Or, or even it'd be even more fun. Like if a Kane Barong breaks out, if right. an Eli Raritan breaks out, and you can go twelve personnel with one of them in the game, you can line up, and I'd go like wing, tight end, slot, and just like do a motion and just run right at them, and on, and then immediately go tempo and spread mm-hmm. them out. Put Kane in the slot, Mayer outside, just have some fun and, and go right at them." Uh, or or go 11 personnel and do the same thing. I mean, being able to throw that at a team, if you do that a couple times a game in one game, you don't even have to go back to it for a few more weeks to n- make sure the next two, three teams are going to be preparing for that and trying to handle that. Yep. And you also need to have it, Ryan, to where there's going to be those games. If you're a precision-based offense, you're going to go into the, some of those games where you're just off. And it's just not there. And one of the best things that you can do is to get your team going to just say, hey, guys, we're going to go fast this next series. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be the thing that kind of wakes you up, gets you into rhythm. And I think that's something that you have to have in your back pocket. I don't think a tempo team needs to be able to slow it down to get into a groove. They mm-hmm. need to be able to slow it down late. But I think precision and efficiency teams need to be able to sometimes heat things up because another team has a read on them or because they're just not getting into a groove and they need something to break them out of that, 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 that sort of slump. They may be in the middle of that game. So I think they need to be able to do it. So, yes, uh, I hope that they do try to mix it in. But it won't be mixed in as far as, like, 
a, a normal part of what they do. Right. Sure. So that's my, any, any thoughts that you want to add or, or disagree with or anything like that on that, I, Ryan? I, I, I did a baseball analogy yesterday, mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to stick to the baseball analogy. You don't want to be a one pitch pitcher, right? You right. need to change up ready to go. So that's my, that's my thought is I, I don't think you can always be one style and one style only. You have to be able to have a change up and that's where adjustments mm -hmm. come in. That's where different styles of tempo come in. So I agree with you hundred percent is as it, especially as a guy that was a defensive coach, right? Like when a team would switch things up and the tempo starts at a different pace, you're like, whoa, what is happening right now? <laughs> it's, it's, you got to adjust so much quicker. So yes, I agree. I think that you need different pitches in your, in your, in your, uh, in your pitching repertoire. I think you need more tools in your toolbox than just a single mm -hmm. tool. So mm -hmm. Travis with a super chat. Thank you, Travis very much for another one of those. If you, if you could add any non QB to the 23 or 24 class, who would it be? So, any player that's not a quarterback in the 23 or 24 class, who would it be? That's an hmm. interesting question. I, I, I mean, I, personally, I would like to. I think I know I mean, who mine is. My first thought was. I'm still going to go with Caleb Downs. It's mm -hmm. tough, though. But I mean, it was between Jason Moore and Caleb Downs for me. I just think that Caleb, so Jason Moore plays a more important position in a vacuum. But Caleb Downs, I think, is just going to be a superstar. So that's just kind of where my mind went. And I think that when you look at K Jason Moore, as we said all along, even when we thought Nuri was going to get him, he was a luxury. He was a want, not a need. Caleb Downs, you don't have as you. Have, and the point is, Tyson Ford, Aiden Gobira, Keon Keeley, Bubakar, Devin Houston, right, Brendan Vernon. You've got a lot of dudes. Brandon Davis Swain next year's class. Notre Dame's got a lot of guys. Jason Moore is outstanding. It doesn't take it at all away from how much we wanted Jason Moore. And it was a miss. It sure. just, the reality is it's kind of like getting Monroe Freeling. Monroe Freeling wasn't a need for a six offensive line. It was more of a want If you get him sure. great. If you don't, okay. You still got pretty darn good offensive line class. I think Caleb Downs to your point, Ryan is still a need, right? Mm -hmm. With where the roster is at right now, you got Peyton Bowen. And after that, there's nobody else like Peyton Bowen on the roster. Okay. Caleb Downs would give you another one. I'm still going in a different direction, though. I'm going okay. to Micah Hudson. Oh, if I like could it. guarantee that they're going to get one guy in the next two years, 23 or 24, that I can guarantee right now they're going to get, that's mm -hmm. that's not a quarterback, I'm going Micah Hudson. It, it would have been, if, if I was focusing more on 2024, and I know the question is 2023 or 2024, I, I would have went a wide receiver. I'm not sure if I would have yeah. went Wingo or Hudson, but, yeah, I, I accept your premise. That's a very yeah. interesting one. Yep, that would be a – that would be a big one. That kid's special, man. Yeah. Mike Hudson is special. Yep. I agree. I yep. agree. Last two that we're going to get to here. From, one's from Sean Kane. Sean says, Brian and Ryan, who on the schedule has the best secondary that Notre Dame will face this year? Wow. That's another good one. I mean, so Ohio State has names, Brian. They're not, yeah. They haven't lived up to their names, though. Like, I mean, Denzel yeah. Burke, I think, is going to be a good player. Cameron Brown's actually a better player than I thought he was. They mm -hmm. have Ronnie Hickman. Like, there's a lot of names in Ohio State secondary. Mm -hmm. They just haven't played up to that standard at this moment. I'm trying to think, like, USC, nah. If they played Ohio State in November, I would be more willing to have that conversation of it being Ohio State. Sure, sure. And they added the kid from Oklahoma State, right? Oh, McAllister. Yep. Yeah, they added McAllister. him. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, to me, Clemson's not there for me, uh, but they're at least in the conversation. They've got some question marks, I think. Yes. They've got some talent. 
thing about Clemson is Clemson has a really good freshman secondary class coming in. Really mm-hmm. good freshman secondary class coming in. Yep. Um, so because they lost Mario Goodrich, right? Yeah. BYU's got a, a, a veteran group of DBs coming back. You know who you know who's in the conversation that a lot of people are gonna laugh at me for when I say this, and it's one of the reasons yeah. I really think can I guess it? Can I guess yeah. it? Yeah. Boston College? No. Oh, I think their okay. secondary is garbage. Oh, I mean, um, they got Justin Berry and Elijah Jones mm-mm. are two pretty good corners. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> North Carolina. A Storm Duck and Tony Grimes. Well, yeah, and you got Cameron Kelly. And here's, I think that was a group, Try uh, that to me, that was a group, Ryan, that was very young. Your best players were all young guys. Mm-hmm. And they were coached horribly. And I think they're going to be better coached. And I, when I mean horribly, I'm talking scheme-wise from Jay Bateman, not Dre Bly as the corners coach. I think Tony Grimes could end up being the best corner that Notre Dame plays this year. And then we had a conversation about him. as like, he should be going into a sophomore year right now. And I think that's going to hurt North Carolina, but I do think he's going to break out this year and be a really good corner. I thought he was pretty good down the stretch last year. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a, a good player. I think, I think that when you look at, you know, Cameron Kelly, I think he's a solid player. I think North Carolina, if they can get any kind of pass rush whatsoever, which I think they should be able to get because they actually have some decent young players. If they get any kind of pass rush this year, I think their secondary is going to be pretty good. I think off the top of my head, they're in there. You know who else has a surprisingly decent couple of secondary players? Stanford. Stanford's got a couple of pretty oh, – the they got Ky- Kyrou Blue, Kelly yep. or whatever his name is. Yeah, yep, yeah. and they had another safety last year that when he played, he was pretty good. He just was banged up a lot, and I cannot for the life of me remember that kid's name. Some, someone just said something I wanted to say in this chat too. Garrett mm-hmm. Williams from Syracuse is a stud. He's a good player. Really good corner, really but good the corner. overall, the secondary is not that good. No, nah, they, they, they have one safety that's right. decent beside him, but as a whole, right. you're right. I would say – Jonathan McGill. That's who it was. Jonathan McGill. He he yeah. was out most of the year, came back late. He's a pretty decent football player, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he'd be another one. And I think I, he's back, correct? Isn't he back? I, I think so. He was a junior last year. Yeah. Yeah, most likely back. I, so I him would, and Blue, I, Blue are two pretty good players, in my opinion. Yeah, Blue's not a bad player. I, I would honestly – I think as a season as a whole, maybe not as much when Notre Dame plays them, mm-hmm. I would still probably, I think, defer to Ohio State because I think they have the most talent. That says a lot about team. the secondaries that Notre Dame plays this year. Yes. Well, no, no argument. It's there's not uh, there's not a lot of great secondaries Notre Dame is playing this year. You're not wrong. You're and not the wrong. difference between Ohio State and USC is last year USC actually had some decent players. They just weren't coached well. Correct. A lot of the guys they have are gone. And you know they they're they're getting Bryson Shaw from Ohio State to you know is supposed to be one of their better guys this year. And I just you know I just again I don't I don't see it. Yeah. But I I think North Carolina could end up having the best second not the best defense. Their defense yeah. won't be that great. And, you know, I think Coach Chizik's going to get them better, but mm-hmm. the floor is so low. I mean, the starting point is so bad. that. But I do think their secondary is long and athletic, and I think Tony Grimes could end up being the best corner that they play this year. He's not right now. He's got. I'm, I'm projecting, right? I'm projecting right. that. If they, if, they hit, if they hit their ceilings in that secondary, I would say they probably have the best corner duo yeah. on the schedule. Because Storm mm-hmm. Duck's actually kind of liked by – yeah. NFL circles a little bit. And yep. Tony Grimes has a lot more upside than Storm Duck does. So. Yep. And I think Cameron Kelly in a better defense will be a good is, – is he was good at times last year. 
mm-hmm. as a safety. Is he number so, nine? Is he number I, nine? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. I have to look at their schedule. He's another Virginia kid, and I'm trying. It's not because he's from Virginia. Oh, it's Virginia just, bias. Just pointing out. Virginia just bias. pointing out. I mean, they've had some Virginia guys that end up being pretty good at North Carolina. There's this guy. I'm not sure if you remember him, Lawrence Taylor. Never heard. Uh, of him. He, he was pretty good. Uh, Dre Bly. He's pretty good. He's from Never Virginia. So yeah, him. he's pretty good. Uh, so yeah. So th- that's it. So hey, everybody, this was this was a really fun show. Uh, appreciate everybody being part of it. That's going to do it for today's podcast. Uh, lots of great questions. Uh, timeout Tom my answer doesn't change from uh, Ohio State to BYU from starters so I didn't ignore your question but it just it doesn't change it would have to be injury related Uh, but that's it for today everybody thank you all so much make sure you check out the the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com always check out our website irishbreakdown.com that every article we post at irishbreakdown.com is free Uh, so you definitely want to check that out and of course the premium stuff is on our message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com And before you go, hit that like button, everybody. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Ryan, thank you for joining me today. We'll be back tomorrow for our mailbag, our Friday mailbag, which will start at 1 o'clock. So we won't have to mess around with it this week like we did last week. We're just going to have our mailbag at 1 o'clock. We'll get into a ton of your questions. And, and of course, it's the day where you all get to determine what we talk about. So I'm very much looking forward to it. So thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, Have a great rest of your day, and we will talk to you again very, very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.